I want to start today by having you think about something. We sang that song, Oh, How He Loves Us, How He Loves Us So. And uh, I know that each and every one of you, you have people in your life that you love. And I want to ask you a question that we'll bring back a little bit later. Do each of you in here have someone that you love to the degree that if you saw them doing something that you know ultimately was going to hurt them, harm them, it was a big mistake, in other words. Do you love them enough that you would go to them and try to warn them and try to get them off of the path that they were on? How, how many say, yes, I would do that? Okay. Let me go a step further. What would you say about this? Supposing that the person you care about, the person you love, that they are going in such a dangerous direction... And you've tried to persuade them personally, gently, but that hasn't gotten anywhere. How many of you, if, if you really believe that it was the last thing you could do to persuade them off a destructive path, how many would be willing to do something? We, we call these things today interventions. Everybody familiar with what I'm talking about? You know, where various key people in, in this individual's life come and the, you're kind of just surprising the person with your presence. It, it is a very humiliating difficult thing for the person that's being intervened for but how many of you if you thought that was the last action I could do to try to save someone from sure destruction I would a actually risk humiliating them getting them angry at me I would call for an intervention to try to stop them from the course they're on how many would do that can I see your hands and you would do that because you love them you care about them all right tuck that away we, we've been in a series called Steadfast, and what I've said throughout the series is that steadfastness is this crucial trait in life. Uh, it is the key to success on so many different levels, whether it's relational or professional and, and many other ways, personal development, character development, uh, spiritual development, and all these things. Each week, I've given you the name of the title and then just some synonyms. By steadfast, we're talking about learning to be consistent to be faithful, to be devoted, to be unshakable, unstoppable, and immovable, and particularly when it comes to our allegiance to Christ. Now, I know that some of us in here, we have not yet made the decision to put our trust in Christ and become his followers. Nevertheless, you're here today, which is indicative that God's got your, your ear somehow, and you're at least in a process, and Maybe this day you'll consider doing what I did at age 23, putting your trust in Christ and become his follower. But for we that are followers of Christ, we want to be unshakable in our devotion to him, unstoppable in our service, and immovable in never shrinking back to tell people the truth about our loving God and about life as he reveals it in his word. Now, the first three messages in this series, we, we dealt with things like the... Uh, the incentives you know for steadfastness and last week we dealt with the foundational secrets to steadfastness the first one we, we dealt with challenges to steadfastness the series now has three more messages starting with today each of these messages are going to deal with the dangers that we encounter the things that would hinder us the things that would stop us from being steadfast and I've been honest through the, the start of this series Jesus himself indicated in a parable called the parable of the sowers in Matthew 13 that uh, the sower that um, about three quarters of the people who at some point hear the message about God his kingdom as it's revealed in Christ and get initially interested three quarters of them fall away at some point they don't stay steadfast and, and so it's critical that none of us become so confident that we lose our, our you know, kind of our, our, our vigilance, for want of a better term, about this. So we're going to start talking about, first of all today, relational dangers to steadfastness. One, one of the greatest dangers we have, the thing that can most easily move us, most thoroughly move us from our steadfast devotion to Christ is relational. Now, when it comes to relationships, I mean, what could possibly go wrong, Right? What could possibly go wrong? I don't have many old pictures of myself, but uh, this, is, this is one from my older... It's before I started going to the gym and things like that. You can see I was not... But um, now, doesn't that guy look like me? It's not me. I, I picked this picture just for a spoof, and then I started looking. I'm like, that guy does look a little bit like me. Younger version. But, you know, what's that? 
So, I, I don't know, something about hand you're saying. I don't know what. More, more of a tan, yes. I get whiter and whiter as the summer goes on. I, I hide from the rays of the sun. I don't want to be like a raisin. At this stage of my life, it's much more dangerous than ever. Um, anyway, the idea is what could possibly go wrong? Well, relational dangers, there's a lot. There's a lot that could go wrong. We want to spend the time in kind of looking at this angle overcoming relational dangers calls for calls for what if i'm going to overcome relational dangers if you're going to overcome relational dangers what does it call for first thing is this awareness of relational dangers themselves we we tend to be like the guy with the eggs that you know what could possibly go wrong we we don't look at relationships as something that can have long-term influence on our life and that the influence can be very, very good, very positive, and it can also be very, very negative. It can change the course of our life. It can change the whole trajectory of our life, our relationships. Now, we're going to start by looking at a man who, <laughs> who by God himself is called the wisest man that ever lived. God gave him a supernatural gift of wisdom, and his name was Solomon. Let's start reading scripture. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23, it says, So King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. People from every nation came to consult him and to hear the wisdom God had given him. Now, mind you, this is, this is God saying he's not only the richest guy, the richest king, but he's the wisest. And people came from all over the world in these ancient biblical days to hear Solomon. Solomon was the, uh, the third king of Israel. Uh, Saul was the first, David was the second, and this was David's son, Solomon. Each of them reigned for 40 years. But listen to the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey was saying. Some of you are like, who's Paul Harvey? But, but for you that know. <laughs> now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, and that is an understatement, okay? Because if you read the rest about Solomon's story, he actually had 700 wives and 300 concubines and concubines are not pastries they, <laughs> they it, it always reminds me of a pastry of some sort but uh, they were kind of like a wife but they didn't quite have wife status okay so the, my man had thousand women to contend with uh, Jesus said no one can serve two masters he had a thousand masters I, so uh, his wisdom comes into question right away uh, <laughs> now King Solomon loved many foreign women Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because, because they might turn your hearts to their gods. Is that what it says? No. no. They will they will disproportionate influence we're going to we're going to look at this subject today a lot disproportionate downward influence once we bond to the wrong person they have disproportionate influence over us and sometimes instead of a bond we need to erect a boundary we're going to talk about bonds and boundaries a lot in this message and and it doesn't mean that when we put a boundary between ourselves and a certain person it doesn't mean that we're rejecting them it doesn't mean that we're not caring for them and loving them it doesn't mean that we're not interacting with them but we're putting a cautionary boundary in place so that they cannot have disproportionate influence over us downward disproportionate influence you must not marry them the Lord knew, knew their hearts because they will turn your hearts to their gods yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway in Solomon's old age they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God so here's the first example now Solomon with this extraordinary wisdom gift was not immune to being taken down and to becoming a casualty, one that loses his steadfast devotion to God. And it was all because of these relationships. The Lord had warned, he said, they, they will certainly do this. They will tear you down. Don't think you're so strong that you can deal with this. Because we might be thinking, why didn't Solomon influence them toward God instead of them influencing him away from God? Just the nature of certain relationships. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we go on but for us to mark first of all if the wisest man that ever lived could become a casualty 
to the wrong sort of relationships, certainly you and I must consider ourselves as vulnerable to the same thing. We, we never rise above this. We, we have to be quite cautious with those we let get under our skin. We, we use that term, you know, that person got under my skin. And sometimes we just mean that they're irritating us. But I'm using it in the sense that that person got inside me. That, that person got a grip on my heart. There was a relational bond that formed. And now I have lost some of my God-given objectivity. I now am more concerned about pleasing them, having them accept me, having them like me, having them want me, having them love me, having them respect me, uh, continuing to you know, interact with me, whatever it is. I, that becomes so important to me that I lose my God-given objectivity and boundaries go away. And instead, a, a true bond has, has occurred. Here's another one from Proverbs 13, 20. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools might suffer harm. Is that what it says? No. The companion of fools will suffer harm. But Randy, what, what, what about if you're, you're a Christian, you know, and you love God with all your heart, mind, soul? A companion of fools will suffer harm, period. A loving God is trying to just tell us reality, the facts about life. Once again, this bond with a fool, and the scripture talks about a fool is somebody that you know, acts as though God e either doesn't exist or if he's there, he's inconsequential or insignificant. Therefore, his perspective is darkened. He doesn't understand the truth about himself, about life, about anything, and he fumbles around. And when we get bonded to fools, we will incur some consequences. Uh, it's almost inevitable. Let's look at it one last one. 1 Corinthians 15. Now we're into New Testament times. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Don't be deceived. Bad company might corrupt good character. Is that what it says? No. Bad company corrupts good character. But Randy, can't you get to the place where you are so spiritually strong inwardly where bad company will not be able to influence you in a downward way, but you will lift them up. No, no. Uh, I, I had an unusual occurrence this week. Um, a kid from one of my, my first experiences in a youth group, I, I started this youth group back in 1975. It went from 1975 to 1980. I moved up here in 1980. And these kids have stayed in touch with me to some degree throughout all these long 40-some years. But they contacted me this week. One of them was having a birthday. And you got to understand, last time I saw this kid, he was like, you know, 16, 17 years old. He's now 60. <laughs> but I had the picture in my mind of the 17-year-old. Well, they called me in on the call, and it was, it was wonderful to reconnect with them and all like that. But with, with that youth group, I used to do this illustration regularly. I would try to explain some of these concepts to them about, you know, uh, bonding to the wrong kind of people. And so I would pick the strongest kid in the youth group, and, uh, you know, I would, I would have them get up on a table, and I would sit on the floor. Now, I was always a little guy, but I was even littler than them. And so I'd sit on the floor, and they'd be up on the table, picture this, and we'd grab hands. And I would tell them, pull me up. Well, I don't care how strong the kid is. You can't pull me up. When I'm on the floor and you're on a table, you cannot pull me up. And then when I'd made my point, I would just jerk the slightest bit, and I would take that big kid right down like it was nothing. And that's the reality. When we, when we bond, knowingly or unknowingly, let the wrong kind of people get under our skin, they exert disproportionate downward influence on us. That's what a loving God is trying to explain. Listen, we're relational beings. We, we want to be liked by everybody. We want to be accepted by everybody. We want people to respect us, admire us, include us, want us, love us. I mean, we want everybody to feel that way about us. But if we get too intent upon having that, um, we will lose our objectivity and we will now be vulnerable to being moved, manipulated. Uh, our value systems will change the way we talk. So, some of you know just what I'm talking about. You, you, got, you got people right now in your life that you know, when you get around them, they sort of pull out a different version of you. You already know the you that they want to see and hear and you so care about retaining your bond with them that you become 
Not, not the you that you might be now, not, not the, the you that wants to follow Christ and loves the will and word of God, but you become the you that you know that they want to hear. It might be somebody in your family, your workplace, it might be an old friend, and you revert to some degree. We all are tempted to do this because we are relational creatures. We, we want to be loved and liked and you know, thought well of by people and all those kinds of things, but we have to understand that there's an inherent danger and to remain steadfast in our devotion to God and to what is sane and to what is good and to what is according to our design, we have to be aware of our vulnerability to uh, the relational down, downward pull. Now, I, I want to take this on another level and explain a little bit more to you. Our typical relational foundations are built like this. Uh, typically, we, we end up in relationships with people by association. It might be a co-worker, it might be somebody in the neighborhood, it might be a friend, it might be a family member. So association is the basis of some of our relationships, or at least the start. Affinity, you know, you might like to hunt, fish, crochet, you know, jog, whatever it is, run. So affinity brings some of us together. Uh, amusement, now amusement, Solomon, I, I, I want to point out, Solomon had a lot of these going, but his amusement was having... <laughs> 700 women uh, that were his wives and 300 that were not but were for all practical purposes his wives he was attracted to them he had, had Solomon had admiration but mostly Solomon entered into these marriages because of the advantages politically when you married into royalty the daughter of some other kingdom you usually had peace with that kingdom so so we sometimes we get involved with people in relationships because there's advantages um Sometimes, more than often, it's attraction, physical attraction, admiration. Sometimes we just meet somebody and we can't explain what it is, but there's just something cool about them. We just kind of like them. And then, of course, affection. Now, I, I, I want to I kind of show you one thing that's missing in this list. Here we are. Allegiance to Christ. Now, allegiance to Christ, if you are, if we are followers of Christ, it needs to be up here up here it needs to be the the sifter of all these other things that cause us to become related or involved with people or bonded with people to a certain degree and and that allegiance to Christ needs to be the the creator of appropriate boundaries so that these other things don't disproportionately affect us and we are bonded to someone before we know it because of some of these other uh, lesser important levels. Now, now I'm going to show you what this is like. If I could go to my next slide. Here's how we can measure the relational vulnerability that we have. Relational vulnerability. The degree, let, let this say again, the degree of desire or feeling of need determine the level of bonding vulnerability. In other words, how much do I desire this relationship? How important is it to me? How much does it mean to me? Let's go further. How much do I need this relationship? Those will determine how vulnerable I am to be disproportionately influenced downwardly. I have let them under my skin. They now have a grip on my heart because I have such strong feelings for them or I need them for something or some other reason. Now, I'm going to give you just an example of the way relationships develop uh, quite frequently in our society today. And, of course, our society really promotes this idea. Usually, relationships uh, have a, a starting point with physical attraction, okay? For whatever reason, we're physically attracted to someone, and then it usually goes from physical attraction to time spent and then it goes to affection so let's just take these two attraction and affection once you have these two and these were if I could if I could just go back to that list again that first list okay so we have attraction and affection once you have those two that individual is absolutely below your skin you might be the most loving Christian on this planet you might love God's word. You might believe it to the core of your being. You trust that everything God says is for your good. He knows what's best, wants what's best. And you are bought and sold out. And you, you know. But this other person, let's say, does not think that way, does not believe that way. 
but they've gotten to you man you're physically attracted to them and now you've become affectionately involved with them and you know there's this physical stuff that usually gets there too and your bond your bond will gradually if not quickly deteriorate your allegiance to Christ because you need that person too much you want them too much and that will trump your ability to build intelligent God-honoring boundaries boundaries that are good for you and would be better for them as well does that, does that make sense degree of vulnerability if I could go back to that other slide now a relational vulnerability degree of desire or feeling of need determine the level of bonding vulnerability there is a healthy spirit given objectivity that God wants us to maintain and it's that I look at that person through the lens of God's, uh, God's eyes, God's word, God's will, and I treat them appropriately the way that God would want them to be treated. And to do that, though, I have to, I have to, keep, I have to keep healthy boundaries. And I have to learn to relate to different people in different ways. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a, a little bit. Now, I want to pause here before we go into the second part of this message. I'm going to just tell you in advance. Some of you, this might be the first time you've ever been at church. Some of you, you might be new at considering Christ. Uh, some of you may be new at trusting in Christ. So we're all these various different numbers. Some of you have been walking with Christ for 20 years, 30 years, whatever. But, but I want to prepare you. What I'm going to turn to now, it's God's word. It's God's truth. You're going to see it with your own eyes. But I want to say you are going to be jolted. And some of you, frankly, might be angry. And some of you might even be tempted to get up and walk out I hope you won't but I, I want to at least mentally emotionally prepare you for the jolt I'm going to make one request hear me out through the whole talk let me finish where I'm going before you bail and I think you'll see that a question I ask you at the beginning is the answer to what we're about to read let, let's, let's go on so here we are avoidance of relational dangers how, how do we avoid these relational dangers how, how do we avoid letting someone get under our skin so that they have a disproportionate downward pull on us so that we have the objectivity to build intelligent healthy boundaries for them and for us and to, to stay away from bonding to those that we shouldn't be bonded to we shouldn't let get under our skin avoidance of relational dangers here we go 2 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul is writing to followers of Christ living in the, the place of Corinth, the church of Corinth, city of Corinth. And he says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. That is, non-followers of Christ. What does he mean, yoked together? Well, I've been explaining it to you. It's, it's a bond. It's this bond where I, I want this relationship. It's, it's become disproportionately important. I might need this relationship. I can't let this relationship go. I've lost my God-given objectivity. He says, don't be yoked. Now, yoked is often utilized in the context of marriage, that, that a Christ follower should not marry a non-Christ follower. But sometimes attraction and affection get so cranked up that the Christ follower throws objectivity to the wind, God's word to the wind, God's will to the wind, and marries that person anyway, hoping somehow, some way, I'll lift them up off the floor instead of them pulling me down off the table. Usually doesn't work that way usually doesn't but it can it can do not be yoked together this would apply for a marital situation it would apply for business partnerships with with non-followers of Christ but it could apply with lots of different relational levels do not be yoked together with unbelievers those that are not followers of Christ for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness what harmony is there between Christ and Belial it's just another name for the devil what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So here is God telling us you need to create a boundary. When you and I, if we are Christ followers, are interacting with those that are not Christ followers, we need to have a boundary in place. Now, this does not mean that we don't reach out to them. Quite the contrary. Jesus tells us to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything he commanded. We are to be those that reach out. We are to be bridges between Christ and, and other human beings, but we do so 
with a boundary in place that I can't let this person get under my skin because then they could disproportionately influence me in a downward way and I would lose my steadfastness. So I'm going into this relationship with them to give to them. I don't need anything from them and I'll never let myself get to the place where I need anything from them because when I need something from them, now I'm vulnerable to being disproportionately influenced. So I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to be salt. I'm going to be light. I'm, I'm going to do all those things that Jesus calls us to do, which means I'm going to live like Christ in front of them. I'm going to speak about Christ to them. That's how we're salt and light. If we, if we don't show it and if we don't say it, we're deficient as salt and light. So we're going to do that, but we're not going to be yoked. We're not going to let them get under our skin so that we are vulnerable to compromising on God's truth. That's not good for them. That's not good for us. Man, I got a little tickle in my throat too. I heard somebody out there coughing. <laughs> okay, let me go on. This is the continuation of that passage. This is just the next verse. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So there's a boundary, a separation that God says we have to put in place when we are interacting with those that are not yet followers of Christ. Now there's the second level. So that's, that's the first boundary, uh, the follower of Christ, the non-follower of Christ. This next one is going to jolt you. This next one's the one that you're going to be uncomfortable with. Uh, it, it is a boundary that God says we must put in place with those that say they are followers of Christ, but whose lives do not manifest that uh, in a consistent fashion so I'll just let the scripture speak 1 Corinthians chapter 5 the apostle Paul once again he says I wrote in my earlier letter not to associate with those who sin sexually but I did not mean you should not associate with those of this world who sin sexually meaning the, the non-Christian or with the greedy or robbers or those who worship idols, to get away from them, you would have to, what does it say? Leave this world. <laughs> so Paul, they had asked Paul questions. He wrote them back, and he could see they were confused. Um, he, they thought, the Corinthians thought, Paul was saying, don't have anything to do with anyone that is uh, practicing sexual sin, or they're greedy, or they're robbers, or they're worshiping idols. And, and Paul is saying, no, 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 you'd have to leave the whole world. You, you can't do that. Let's go on. I'm writing to tell you that you must not associate with those who call themselves what? So this is someone that says, I, I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower. But Paul says, but, but no matter what they say, do not associate with those uh, who call themselves believers in Christ, but who sin sexually or are, what's the word? Greedy or worship idols or abuse others with words. What does he mean by that? That's, that's talking about the use of profanity as well as injurious speech, like telling somebody you're a fool, you're a moron, you're an idiot or like that. He says, don't associate with them if they abuse, abuse others with words or get, what does it say? drunk does it say they get drunk every day or just get drunk so every day was just my my throwing that in right so paul is saying if they get drunk at all then um is that is that is, am i on target here okay uh who, who get drunk or cheat people do not even eat with people like that now i told you this is gonna be uncomfortable it's gonna be bumpy okay so what does this mean? This sounds harsh. Um, let, let, let's go, let's read a little further. Well, actually, let, let, let me go back. Let's go back to that other one before I go there. I, I don't want to go there quite yet. This sounds to me like judging people. And Randy, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, verse, verse 1 through 5, he said, you're not supposed to go around judging people. You don't go around picking at the speck in somebody else's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. He says, you know, the way that you judge others, that's the way you're going to be judged back, so don't judge. But what Jesus said in John 7, verse 24, he says, judge, 
with an appropriate judgment. So in Matthew 7, Jesus is not saying don't judge ourselves or others in light of comparing ourselves to God's word or others to God's word. That's not what he meant. That is the most abused. Almost anyone that's never read the Bible, the first time you say something makes them uncomfortable, they say, oh, you're judging, man, you're judging. You're not supposed to judge. Well, that's not what Jesus said at all. And when you look at that passage, this, this, this terribly uncomfortable passage says the person that's sinning sexually, by the way, sinning sexually in our day and age, you've got to kind of talk about what that is. Um, sexual activity outside of the bond of marriage is considered by God, our creator, the one who knows us best, loves us most. He, he considers that damaging. It's, it's wrong. When anything that God calls sin, it is not some arbitrary set of rules that God made up. It's the one who created us, knows us best, loves us most, saying, this is the way you're supposed to function. This is how you can have optimum life. Don't do that. That's not you. That's not the fuel you're meant to run on. That he calls sin. Rightness or righteousness is what fuels us, builds us, blesses us. So God's not some fuddy-duddy trying to spoil our fun. He, he is someone that says, I know how you're wired. I made you. And this stuff is cancer to you. It's, it's poison. Let me, let me ask you a question because we're talking about disproportionate influence. If I had a 16-ounce uh, glass of water and I put just one drop, one drop of deadly poison in it, okay? Here's the question. Does the poison, does the poison become watered or does the water become poisoned? right the water becomes poison just one little drop disproportionate impact if I had beautiful white gloves on and I plunge my beautiful white gloves which would be a little weird for me to wear white gloves but but if I have beautiful white gloves on and I plunge them into mud does the mud become glovey or does do the gloves become muddy disproportionate disproportionate effect of anything that God calls sin so He's not talking about judging as I'm going to go around and be a nitpicker. I'm going to find fault with everybody and everything, and I'm going to compare myself favorably to everybody. That's not it. That's not it at all. But God actually commands us to judge ourselves and, yes, one another. Let me go to that, the rest of this verse now. 1 Corinthians 5, we're just picking up in the very next verse. It, it, it isn't, Paul says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those, what does it say? Inside the church, Inside the church who are what? Whoa. What does that mean? We, it is your, if you're a Christ follower and you belong to a church, it's your job, it is your responsibility. In other words, I'm going to be judged by God someday to how responsible I was. That just sounds legalistic and mean-spirited and weird. I don't want to be a part of any church like that, that, that if I get out of line, they're not going to associate with me, they're not going to eat with me. I mean, that, that just sounds cruel. That just sounds crazy. But do you agree it does say that? I mean, I don't know how you can juggle the words. It certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those who are outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Earlier, he said, if a so-called brother or sister in Christ is sinning sexually or they're greedy or they're using abusive you know, language or... You know, they're cheating and, and that list that we all read. He says, don't associate with them. Don't even eat with them. Now, why? I mean, why? Why such harsh treatment? First of all, let me say this. That would not work today. It, it was meant to be something that would break the sin cycle in the person's life, jolt them to reality that following Jesus is not a matter of having an academic assent to some truths about Jesus. Oh, I believe he lived and he died and he rose again and he, he never sinned. And you know, you can believe all that. I can believe all that. And, and I am not a follower of Christ. It's saying that when I put my trust in Christ, I will actually desire to follow him and be like him and the proof will be in the pudding you will see my life changing anytime I learn that God says oh that's sin don't do that Randy that's not good for you I will stop that and anytime he says this is right I will start that so 
Paul is making this point. He's saying it doesn't matter what these people say. If they are still sinning sexually, if they are still getting drunk, if they are still worshiping idols, if they are still talking abusively, he says, if they are still cheating people, all those who are on that list, he says, treat them like they are not Christians. Don't associate with them. Now, that wouldn't work today because the idea behind it was this. To jolt the person who was not living as a Christian to jolt them to a spiritual awakening, to get them to either get in or get out of God's family altogether. But because, you see, these people that call themselves Christians but do not live a Christian life, they exert a disproportionate downward influence on everyone else around them. This passage is meant to be a last-ditch effort to try to get stubborn individuals who were obviously sinning very, very openly and knew better um, to either get in or get out, so, so to speak. Remember when I started this talk out, I said, hey, you know, do you guys have anybody that you love and you love them enough that even if it was an uncomfortable conversation, you would go to them and warn them? You said, yeah, I would do that. And I said, how about this? I mean, would you go so far as to have an intervention, uh, which is very embarrassing, very humiliating, but you would do that if you thought that was the only thing that could bring them to their senses? And you said, yeah, yeah, I'd do that. That's what we're looking at here. We're looking at God trying to get people to awaken, to stop their downward disproportional influence on those that are following Christ, but also to get them to awaken by jolting them. If you're going to behave like you're not a Christian, we're not going to have you in this society, this church. Now, this wouldn't work today, as I keep saying, because you know what happens today if a church actually tries to do this? The people just leave and just go right down the street, sometimes block away to another church, and they're treated like gold because... Nobody knows their story. Nobody knows that they're sinning still as a regular practice in life. And why is it that sinning in a regular practice in life, why is that so, you know, dire like this? Because it shows that we're not actually trusting Christ to save us from our sins. We we, we all want to be saved from the penalty of our sins. But Jesus said he came to save us from our sins. It it is sin that it's wrecking us knowingly and unknowingly and hurting others as well so so this is God's methodology to try to correct those that need correction and they've pushed it to the extreme they they haven't listened to previous warnings or urgings or pleadings it's kind of the intervention it's God's intervention unfortunately it doesn't work today like I said because people just go down the street and they're treated like gold and it breaks God's cycle but there still are things we can do on an individual basis you if you had someone like this in your life, you on an individual basis, you could say, you know, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to change the nature of our relationship. I'm going to have to start drawing more boundaries because, man, I love you. I'm not perfect. I, I'm far from it. But you are just living in willful contradiction to the word and will of God. And, and I'm, not, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want to affirm you in that because it's, it's affirming your destruction. And so I'm going to do the hard thing. I'm going to pull back until you rethink what you're going to do that's something we could do now I want to go to something next excuse me Um, these are actual words that a group of so-called Christ followers said to a woman who wants to be pure sexually in her life looking to be married Um, she has going through difficult times loneliness and all that kind of thing and met certain quote Christian men who very quickly let her know that they expect to have sex with her or that they're not interested in even talking much further but then her friends her Christian friends these are the words they say to her coaxing her to sin God will understand and give you a green light actual words enjoy yourself and get forgiveness You've been good a long time, that from a counselor. (laughs) Why be miserable? You're missing out. Why are you saving? What are you saving yourself for? 
It's different now. It's not like Bible times. These are people that were, quote, Christians influencing this woman or trying to downward to coerce her, to urge her to sin against God and herself. Thankfully, she, she didn't listen. She didn't resist. But, but these Christians have a disproportionate effect because they claim they're fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and their words are really committed. Hey, man, you know, everybody's doing it, so, you know, what, what's the big deal? Just get forgiven. Just enjoy yourself, man. Life's passing you by. This is terrible, terrible counsel. And this is why God says we have to put very clear boundaries when an individual is resisting God's truth they're not living a Christian life they're not even attempting to live a Christian life and then their influence is disproportionately affecting others in a downward way now before you get so angry at me I want to show you the steps that are supposed to precede this kind of drastic disassociation here we go Galatians 6 1 it says dear brothers and sisters if another believer is overcome by some sin you who are godly should gently and what's the word humbly help that person back where onto the right path clear change of conduct we've got to get this nonsense out of our mind that relationship with God is just based on a set of beliefs that we hold okay yeah there are beliefs that we hold but those beliefs are meant to convince us that our lives actually need to be and will be changed and if our lives are not changing we may call ourselves a lot of things but we're not going to fit the description of a real Christ follower Randy you're making it sound like you gotta be perfect man nobody's perfect so so what's the difference we all need forgiveness yes but here's the difference the big difference the real Christian they go to God's word they take it as God's will and they pursue it with all their heart yes they may be stuck they may be struggling they may have developed habits that they can't quickly get rid of but they want to be all that God calls them to be they are convinced that the most beautiful life the right kind of life was evidenced in Christ and they are trying not to sin they are trying to eliminate sin and they are trying with all their heart to walk righteously a little baby falls down a lot when they first start to walk but they're not trying to fall down they're trying to walk there's the big difference so evidently these people in Corinth others had already gone to them in this way gently and humbly they tried to help them back on the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself a quote Christian or someone that calls himself a Christian their words have heavier uh, impact on a fellow or another Christian and they can lead a person into temptation. You, hey, you know, everybody's doing it, man. You're, killed, you're, you're, you're missing out on all the joy. Next thing you know, the Christian's thinking, oh, well, maybe I am. And, and this is how it happens. Let me go on. So, th- so that gives us a little bit of technique. So the technique is we go humbly, we go gently, we go personally, okay? And we try to restore them to the right path. Now, this is qualifications. Who should do this? Paul says, personally, I'm convinced about you, my brothers, and my sisters that you yourselves are full of what is the word so their motives are pure they're not taking any joy in going to someone and correcting them confronting them their 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 will is good they have good motives you're full of goodness you're amply filled with all what spiritual knowledge it is not for someone that is not familiar with the word of God which is how we know the will of God it is not appropriate for someone to bungle their way into someone else's life and try to be corrective okay you you need to know what God's will is and we only find that through studying of God's word so they got to have good motives full of goodness spiritual knowledge and competent to Admonish. Now, this is the Amplified Version, so it's all trying to communicate the same Greek word. The Greek word there is nuthateo, and it, it means admonish, counsel, and instruct one another. The idea of the word nuthateo, it is we're going to someone to warn them, to put them on the path, but we're doing it with humility and gentleness, and, and we want to restore them. We want to help them. We, we want to even have words of wisdom to show them why the path that they are on is not good for them, not good for others around them. It, it, it's a... It's a very careful kind of a process let me look at one more to show you that this nuthateo this warning this this uh, kind of counseling of one another should be normative you must warn each other every day while it is still called today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and what will being deceived by sin cause 
hardened against God. Look, look what happened to Solomon. It says that when Solomon was in his, not his young age, not his middle age, in his old age, when he, when he should have known best, when he should have been at his best, he compromised, he cared too much about the relationships in his life that were disproportionately pulling downward, and his heart became hardened toward God, and he wasn't completely devoted to God, it says at the you know, end of his life. This is what happens. It, it's, a, it's a hardening of the conscience. Things that used to disturb us and we wouldn't even consider, all of a sudden we're, we're doing those without any disturbance uh, and we're maybe doing these things habitually. We all know this cycle in here. So this is the reason behind it. It says that, that God's antidote is that we warn each other. We, we communicate with each other. Now you can't just go bungling up to a stranger and do this, obviously. It's got to be done appropriately within appropriate context. One more. I want you to see that this warning process or this instructing and admonishing, it's normative for Christian development. The Apostle Paul, once again, writing to followers of Christ in Colossae, says, we announce the message about Christ and use all our wisdom to warn and teach everyone so all of Christ's followers will what? Grow in what? And we know when it's, when it's talking about mature, it means becoming like Christ and having all his perfection. So this is what we need to consider. We need to, we need to consider, have, have I somehow let individuals get under my skin that I should have kept a healthy boundary for their sake and for my sake? Okay? I, am, I, am I even aware of the inherent danger of relationships that I am vulnerable because I want to be liked, I want to be loved, I want to be admired, I want to be included, I want to be respected. And so I'm vulnerable. And once I let somebody get under my skin, maybe it's attraction and affection, I'm pretty much a goner. I'm, I'm in Solomon's camp at that point. Uh, in Second Imaginations, chapter 35, verse 16, it says, the man is the head of the household, but the wife is the neck and moves the head. Or it could have been from my big fat Greek wedding, one of the two. <laughs> By the, way, by the way, there's no such book as Second Imaginations. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I'm going to close out with uh, an illustration that I, that I found um, interesting to me, and, uh, and I hope it'll make my point very well. I'll show you a picture. Now, I know you can't exactly tell what's going on here, but a Guinness World Record, 17.5 tons held by three grams of Dello Monopox glue. Three grams is about an ounce. And so this, these are the two surfaces they held together right here, very tiny, about the size of a Coke can. They glued together. Tiny amount of guilt, or, or glue, to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to disproportionately hold 17.5 tons of guilt. No, that's not what I was going So here's the picture. Here's this truck held up in the air now here's where you and I have got to be brutally honest with ourselves um, the God who loves us who knows what's best wants what's best who always wants to rescue us whose forgiveness is always available to us who's constantly trying to get our attention for our good as well as the good of those who interact with us he's lovingly brought us to the place here today where he's causing us to think about something we usually don't think about and wouldn't want to think about on the levels that we've had to today about our relationships and the question becomes you know do I have and I'm asking you personally God's asking you personally asking all of us do I have do we have right now a relationship in our life that is disproportionately influencing us downward away from God away from Christ and we have let it become disproportional and now we need God's grace we need his strength we need his wisdom to put a boundary in between that relationship it doesn't mean that we're ending the relationship necessarily sometimes it might be but it means that we're, we're just going to bring it back to balance where it can't keep pulling us down which hurts us and hurts the other person frankly but I want you to think about it. Is there a person? Is there a set of people in your life that when you get around them, you're a very different person? That's question one. Do you have Christians in your life that tell you 
various forms of sin are just cool, they're fine, they're appropriate, they're fun, they're dandy. If you have those kind of people in your life, you need, first of all, maybe to, maybe to get them to watch this message if you don't want to say what you, you need to say to them, but you ultimately need to say to them, you are not representing Christ and you are a really bad influence on me and on anyone. That's not biblical truth you're telling somebody and you're hurtful to them and you're hurtful to yourself if you believe it. It might be an uncomfortable conversation. Some of us need to just get along with God and we need to kind of rethink all of our relationships. Pa Pastor Pete gave a message, I don't know, about a month, two months ago. It's one of the best I've ever heard on relationships. I would urge you to go back, watch it. He gave his own process of how he sifts relationships and tries to get them in, in a godly, appropriate, balanced fashion. Great message. But you may need to get, uh, you know, along with God and just kind of rethink this thing. Have I put appropriate boundaries? I'm not to be yoked with a non-follower of Christ. In other words, I'm not to let the non-follower of Christ get under my skin so that I need something from them or desire something from them. I ought to be bonded to them to, to give them something, the truth about God and the truth about life. Here's the really tough one. Am I one of those, quote, Christians that the Apostle Paul wrote about who he's saying should be disassociated because I myself am still practicing sin openly in certain areas. I'm not fighting it. I'm not resisting it. I'm not doing anything to eliminate it in my life. I'm not trying to grow. And I'm literally going around giving bad advice to other real Christians. If that's you today, there might be a lot of reasons. You might be doing so innocently. In other words, you just don't know enough of the Word of God to know the will of God. So you're just using your own thought process and common cultural thought. Okay, you need to stop giving advice until you know the Word of God well enough that you know what the will of God is. Because when you give downward advice to people that are following Christ, you're hurting them. This lady that I mentioned, th th these people have brought great torment to her and great temptation to her and that shouldn't be so so there's a lot of soul searching but I want you to hear this one thing God gave us this talk today to let us know I am you are we are vulnerable when it comes to relationships and they absolutely have the power to pull us away from our steadfastness just like they did to Solomon Remember those verses we read? God didn't say it might pull you away. He said it will pull you away. So we got a lot to think about. Most of all, we can be thankful that our God is here to warn us, to instruct us, to protect us, and to call us back to sanity and back to himself this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so much, you speak the truth. You speak the truth when we want to hear it. You speak the truth when we don't want to hear it. But you, most of all, you speak the truth when we need to hear it the most. Please give us uh, the objectivity and the concern of soul to get alone with you, to receive from you that we might um, be built up strengthened, we might have healthy boundaries and healthy bonds that will honor you, that will bless others, and that will bless us and keep us steadfast forever. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand to be with this church? Let's sing this before we go. My hope is built. My hope is Christine. Lead us. My hope is built.